Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Allah Hamed to Raise the Line as we continue our focus on rare diseases. Dr. Hamed is Global Head of Medical Affairs for Rare Diseases at Sanafi, one of the leading pharmaceutical companies in the world. In the rare disease space, Sanafi is most well known for its focus on lysosomal storage disorders, a group of conditions caused by enzyme deficiencies, including Gaucher disease, Fabry disease, Pompe disease, acid sphingomyelinase deficiency, or ASMD, and mucopolysaccharidosis type 1. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Dr. Hamid's work in rare diseases and what progress Sanafi is making in its many research efforts. So, Dr. Hamed, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Chef, for the invite. Appreciate to be here. So we always like to ask our guests uh, the first question, which is, can you tell us a bit about your background? What got you interested in the field of medicine and then eventually joining Sanafi uh, some years ago? So uh, I'm not sure where to start, but I'll start by birth. So I'm Egyptian by birth. Uh, I was raised in Kuwait and I came to the U.S. about 25 years ago. I uh, finished uh, my med school in Egypt and then uh, moved to Boston University uh, upon arrival uh, in the U.S. Been with the company for over 10 or about 12 years now, primarily focused on rare diseases uh, over that period of time. How uh, my interest started in rare disease, uh, I would say since a very young age, I was uh, interested in the human aspect of life in general. I was uh, hoping to become a writer. And uh, that kind of led me to the, to medicine to begin with, because every patient is a story. And uh, through my evolving career journey, I ended up with the most personal of all um, specialization, which is their disease, where Truly, every patient is a story, and uh, we interact on a daily basis with patients that inspire us and uh, compel us to keep moving mountains for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's something we've we've been honored to be able to profile many patient and family members' stories. So we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the Orphan Drug Act, and that's partly why we're so focused on the rare disease landscape. Uh, you know, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with the landscape, how would you describe the current state of the global rare ecosystem and some of the major challenges for developing therapies for rare diseases? I would say it uh, has evolved over the past 30 years. So uh, we developed our first drug, uh, Seradase, about 30 years ago, uh, and it was the filing study was in 12 patients. And that's how we got our approvals, uh, single arm 12 patients study. Uh, moving 30 years down the line, um, one of our development programs in Pompa, so the uh, phase three study is over, a, you know, about 100 patient uh, randomized uh, control study. So you could see over 30 years, the uh, uh, level of evidence and, and, and the challenge in generating evidence uh, became more and more complex. But I would say also, you know, the incentives that were set in place at the beginning truly accelerated innovations to patient. And we need to protect those incentives uh, as the landscape evolved, because uh, there are very few stakeholders uh, or, you know, in, uh, industry partners in the patient community that are able to bring therapies to market and uh, continue to bring therapies to market. So keeping those incentive structure in place is, is really important. No, absolutely. And um, that's that's including 
the production of new therapies or the R&D that funds these new therapies and repurposing of existing medicines as well. But then the access, so it's one thing to develop the, the medicines, nothing to provide access to them. Can you tell us about some of the challenges in uh, helping improve access to these innovative medicines as well? So uh, again, uh, from the beginning, so at the nucleus of, of uh, the rare ecosystem when uh, Cerides, which was the first uh, product in, in Gaucher, uh, came uh, to market or came to approval, we started our humanitarian program. So fr from the from the inception, we thought that uh, having universal access is a key part of the rare disease equation. So so there is um, access that is uh, for the developed world and also for people who cannot access our therapies. We, we created the humanitarian program. And in between, there is a spectrum because access is not just uh, providing the therapy, but also building an infrastructure that would support the delivery of the therapy. So, and, and, and uh, sometimes the humanitarian program was the nucleus to build infrastructure and capabilities at countries around the globe. Uh, so we, and we still continue 30 years on to provide access in, in numerous countries around the world where the probability of commercialization is very slim, and yet uh, we, we are committed to providing access. Also, the idea of a global initiative with a local implementation is embedded in, in rare disease because the patients are few and far apart. So all pa you need all patients to collect evidence. You need all patients to understand the condition. And um, so obviously you also need to deliver the therapy to all patients who need it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, that's well said where because it's, you know, sometimes you're dealing with conditions that are one in a million, one in 500,000, it's truly globally distributed and you have to be able to, 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 to get the patient populations, patients registered in these other countries, and then the access to the medicines for them. So so speaking of, uh, you know, which rare diseases Sanofi has focused on, I'm curious, you know, we mentioned lysosomal storage diseases in the intro. How do you decide what rare diseases to invest in and what criteria are considered uh, when you're when you're weighing those decisions? So um, again, we start from our history. So we started with lysosomal storage disorders uh, and they are a group of disorders um, you know, uh, around the lysosome. So, so again, we're talking about the patient as the unit. So now we're talking about the cell and even uh, an organelle within the cell, which is the lysosome. Uh, so the storage disorders of the lysosome uh, result in, in different uh, multi-organ manifestations. So we started with Gaucher and then we moved to other lysosomal storage disorders, including Fabry disease, uh, POMPA and uh, MPS1 and most recently acid sphingomyelinase deficiency. So that is where we start at the cell and at the lysosome. However, because these diseases have also manifestations uh, or that are you know, different systems, different organs, so we look at adjacency to those uh, disease spaces. So for example, the lysosome in POMPA disease affects the neuromuscular uh, tissues or uh, so, the, so we have a uh, neuromuscular disorder uh, interest. Uh, if the, um, in the case of Gaucher or ASMD, it's more on the hematological aspect of, of the tissues. So it's more about the blood picture, the bone marrow, the spleen, etc. While we find in Fabry, the organs that are affected are more around the uh, renal, uh, so the kidney, or also cardiac organ. So where the 
symptom uh, arise, that's where potentially the next uh, disease area uh, uh, comes to mind. And so we build organically and opportunistically uh, from adjacencies to where we currently are. And that's part of the larger rock that we're chipping on from our end. I know others are chipping from other sides until we kind of eliminate uh, or address this problem for over, you know, 7,000 diseases, uh, rare diseases worldwide. You know, there there has been an exponential increase in the development of um, of targets and obviously with, with new tools like uh, AI to identify targets and, and then high throughput drug screening. Um, the landscape seems to have shifted and improved in how we develop and deliver drugs. Can you talk to us a bit about some of those um, uh, emerging trends within the ecosystem and, and maybe some of the views that you or Sanafi have on how we can take advantage of those? So generally, uh, when we move to uh, a new therapeutic area, we would uh, always say we need multiple shots on goal. So looking at different modalities in order to address the unmet need. And, and sometimes each uh, treatment modality would address part of the unmet need. So yes, the diseases are rare, but there is all, they are also very heterogeneous in, in their uh, manifestation. And certain modalities might address uh, some aspects of the disease better than others. Currently, we're developing, for example, um, therapies that are small molecules as opposed to biologics and, you know, working hypotheses that uh, sometimes small molecules would penetrate uh, harder to penetrate tissues like the cardiac muscle or the bones, etc. Also, the as you understand the disease more, you also move to the uh, remaining unmet need in the condition. So if the unmet need in the condition, you address the visceral component of the condition, but for example, there is still a remaining neurological aspect of the disease. Uh, so you might look for a blood-brain barrier a penetrating modality. Or uh, So again, so science drives where we go, but also uh, which science meet which unmet need uh, based on the current uh, condition of the patients and the available therapies. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. I am curious too. So one, you know, we've talked a lot about drug development and, and access. Um, one of the major issues facing rare disease patients is the initial diagnosis. Uh, you know, the diagnostic odyssey tends to be, I think the last statistic I saw was four to nine years for a rare disease patient to get, get the diagnosis. Is there anything um, that, that you can comment on as far as what you all have done with Sanofi in terms of shortening or improving the diagnostic odyssey for these rare disease patients? So uh, again, also from the inception, that was one of the key um, prerogatives is to how we make sure that patients who are floating in, in the system are actually uh, get diagnosed. So, so that starts with uh, disease awareness and building awareness around the conditions because they tend to be uh, under the radar for most of the practitioners. It includes, uh, you know, supporting uh, deep expertise in centers of excellence. It includes uh, developing uh, specific testing or uh, easier testing uh, in certain conditions, uh, pioneering uh, simpler approaches like a dry blood spot, for example. It uh, includes uh, innovation, digital innovation at this stage, uh, you know, algorithm development in order to try uh, to find uh, the patients who are floating in the system undiagnosed. It also includes uh, building a global infrastructure or supporting the building of a global infrastructure um, uh, in testing and testing specialized testing labs and, and uh, 
uh, samples that uh, move across the globe uh, for a proper diagnosis also includes uh, supporting reference networks. Uh, and there is multiple initiatives uh, that's happening independent of us, but we also help facilitate those uh, networks uh, of um, reference and, and, and sharing of knowledge. So again, it's a, it's a global village in terms of rare disease. And uh, so we're a catalyst in that village. No, absolutely. That's great. I think considering the holistic patient journey makes a lot of sense. And that's uh, clearly something you guys have thought about. Um, you know, you've been at Sanofi for 12 years. Obviously, you've mentioned that the first drug in this area was about 30 years ago for lysosomal storage disorders. What are some of the things over the course of your tenure at Sanofi that you're most proud of? I, I think our most recent uh, products that we brought to market, uh, Olipidase Alpha and uh, Avaglucosidase Alpha. So, so I think... Um, for me, it's a personal journey because when I joined the company, these products uh, were in the design phase for their phase three study. So kind of being part of the brainstorming, the uh, conversations that we had with authorities across the globe, with the uh, health technology assessors, what kind of endpoints, uh, what are the right uh, size of, you know, seeing the trials evolve and, and the challenges we faced uh, during the trials and then the challenges in uh, interpretation of the data and understanding what the data means, etc., and eventually uh, getting a label. And in the case of uh, Olipides Alpha, for example, we had uh, a accelerated uh, approval path across um, almost across the globe. So it was the probably the only product that the company at that uh, time that had um, uh, Prime, which is the accelerated approval path in Europe, it had uh, Sakigaki, which was the accelerated approval path in Japan, and it had also a, a US uh, accelerated approval from the FDA. So actually the team uh, submitting simultaneous accelerated uh, submissions uh, to multiple um, global bodies at the same time was something uh, amazing to watch and to be part of. And, and um, but again, the the final thing is that we brought a therapy to market. Uh, it was the first therapy to market, and suddenly those patients who've been waiting for 30 years patiently, uh, about 20 years of development uh, in, in this specific area, now we have a product to, to serve their unmet needs. So, so that was kind of a, from a professional standpoint, it's very fulfilling and it's very rare. Currently, we tend to move around a lot. So if you end up seeing a story from beginning to end back to stories it's something that is uh have a meaning uh to it and, uh, so it's i'm um, privileged to be part of that story yeah i know i'm sure it's, it sounds incredibly fulfilling um to go through that journey from start to finish um you know for our audience again many of them are current or future healthcare professionals you know the the landscape of healthcare and medicine is changing you know pretty fast and COVID, COVID certainly accelerated some of those trends like telehealth or digital health, retail, getting into medicine. We just had the chief medical officer of Walmart Health and Wellness on the podcast last week uh, as an example. Uh, I'm wondering um, two things. One, one is, you know, can you describe kind of your day-to-day -day role? Like what does it look like in your role for those who are interested in going into medical affairs or being chief medical officer at, at life science kind of companies? Okay, so the the day to day, there is a well, uh, there is a lot of uh, separate conversations and and separate work streams. So you have to be uh, good at multitasking, compartmentalizing, and 
uh, jumping deep from one uh, topic to the next uh, almost every 30 minutes or every hour. So, uh, But that's a skill you develop with time, That uh, how you could uh, be broad and be deep and also be able to switch channels in your brain fast. There is multiple themes in medical affairs, and, 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 and we touched upon um, a lot of them, but uh, you could see the... Um, throughout the development continuum of a, of a condition, starting with understanding the natural history, designing the right natural history studies, trying to figure out what could be a potential endpoint for a study, building um, the relationship with a treater community and understand where expertise, existing expertise within the community. And, and that's uh, for rare diseases is uh, because the expertise could be, a, you know, a cluster in South America or a cluster in Paris or a cluster. So again, being part of a global medical affair function, uh, you pivot across the globe uh, where the expertise is and where the uh, patients are. And, and sometimes you are the connector between all these expertise. So we actually do have advisory boards as part of our uh, daily uh, activities. And these advisory boards are focused on multiplicity of topics, but that's where you bring uh, experts from across the globe to advise on, on a specific challenge. You also think a lot, uh, you know, from a patient-centric uh, standpoint about the unmet need and how would you fulfill that unmet need? What kind of evidence do I need to generate? Specifically in rare, we're also fortunate to also in, uh, we have the rare disease registries, which is uh, uh, the largest uh, lysosomal storage disorder um, real world data set uh, currently uh, in the world. So, so that in itself uh, uh, creates a lot of opportunities to still understand and evolve our understanding of, of the conditions that we study. There is a component in medical affairs also, uh, as we mentioned, around diagnostics and, and around uh, all aspects of, of the diagnostic endeavor from pure uh, service uh, delivery to operational aspects to actually um, publishing uh, insights and analyzing data. So, so it's a very fulfilling profession where you could um, also, if you're interested in strategy, you could uh, practice that. And also being part of a large uh, pharma company, you could also see how you could use the muscles and the reach of, of the larger organization to kind of uh, fulfill the patient unmet needs. So, so, so that's a very e unique situation as well, but um, kind of privileged to be in. Absolutely. That sounds pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> a bit daunting for how many hats you have to wear and how many things you could be doing. Um, but also very exciting, especially when, when, as we mentioned in the last question, you're, uh, you see a drug from start to finish. Um, what advice would you give to our learners about approaching their careers in, in healthcare, medicine, pharma, et cetera? Uh, I would say um, follow your heart. And, and sometimes you will be in a place where you're not sure exactly what your story is and how it's going to evolve. But uh, you know, it will, you will realize the meaning in due time. So when you're going through hardship, you keep going, uh, don't give up and, and uh, be steadfast. Always remember why uh, you came to this profession and, and uh, you know, follow your heart and, but also stay the course and, and, and you will, uh, it will lead you where you are meant to be led. That's awesome. Tried and true advice. Thanks for that. 
Um, and just to be respectful of your time, I only had two other questions. Uh, the first is, as you may know, Osmosis is a teaching company and we like to fill in knowledge gaps. So if you could teach any uh, group of people anything, uh, what would it be and why? Interesting question. <laughs> Uh, what what are the needs of your uh, stakeholders? I would start with that. If I'm designing a curricular, uh, you know, what what are the needs of the audience? So so if if the need is is a uh, uh, is science based, then definitely I would uh, uh, try to teach more around the rare disease uh, ecosystem in general, and also on our conditions and raise awareness and use your channel to raise awareness on on the diseases. If if the need is more around uh, soft skills and also then i would be happy to also share um you know uh, because they go hand in hand uh, the the heart the mind and and the soft skills so so i would ask you what are the needs of your audience but i'm happy to share anything and, and i i like to share my experience in any format yeah no we could go we could talk for hours about the different audiences and and for from our part we're obviously very interested in in uh, trying to fill in the knowledge gaps around rare diseases to get more current and future healthcare professionals and researchers interested in the, in the field, and particularly knowing that rare is actually common. In aggregate, these 7,000 conditions, as you well know, affect hundreds of millions of people directly and then their families as well. So it's, uh, it's important work that you all are doing and leading. What else should I have asked you that you'd like to get across to our audience? Anything else top of mind or looking ahead that you're excited about that you'd like to share? I, I think uh, maybe emphasize a little bit about um, the headwinds that we're facing in general around rare diseases. And, and um, we got, as I said at the beginning, we got where we are because of uh, certain incentives that were uh, set up in the system and the thinking that drove this uh, to fruition. So uh, was the incentives mechanism that were set up in place. And um, at this stage, I would say uh, there are several headwinds that might make it more and more difficult for uh, rare diseases to continue to be developed. So, so again, it's still a call to action from all the stakeholders. We still need uh, innovation, innovation, and in, not just in terms of molecule uh, and and uh, platform, but uh, innovation in regulatory science, innovation in. Uh, trial design, innovation in um, also in, in, in health technology assessment with regard to rare disease. So uh, innovation is not just limited to disease modalities, but it's also into thinking and how we can continue to co-create together as um, partners in the ecosystem, uh, public and private patients and, and uh, industry and all the other stakeholders and decision makers in the system, because that's the only way we could solve for more rare diseases and, and keep chipping at that block. That's really, really helpful note to end on where these challenges could be opportunities for our listeners to get involved and, and do their part to, as we say, raise line and strengthen the healthcare system. So with that, Dr. Hamid, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. And, and more importantly, for the work that you and your team are doing to help uh, millions of patients worldwide who suffer from these conditions. Thank you, Shep. It's a pleasure to be here. And with that, I'm Shiv Rivani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes 
at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>